Coming up on Studios America, Dave Rubin joins us fresh off his latest break from society. Personally, I would have spent at least the next three years there. California recall election contender Larry Elder has an excellent point about our racist media. And Joe Biden has finally taken the authoritarian steps we always knew he would. Where do we go from here? Let's find out as we do Biden's mandate tyranny. Stu does America. Mandates, mandates, mandates. Aren't you excited about all these new mandates? Now, I was told I thought that Joe Biden was against mandates. He was an anti-mandate guy. He mandated that they didn't have any mandates. Shockingly, that's all turned around because when they can't get you to do something by asking you, they start pushing and shoving and it gets worse and worse from there. Here's a look back at the Biden administration's position on mandates. The new vaccine debate now it's mandating vaccines for all federal employees. Are these mandates legal? That's not the role of the federal government. I wouldn't anticipate that we would be putting requirements on private sector companies. I'd be pretty surprised if you mandated it for any element of the general public. I don't think it should be mandatory. I wouldn't demand to be mandatory. President Biden is going to be signing an executive order mandating vaccinations. Federal employees will have about 75 days to be fully vaccinated. This is not about freedom personal choice. If a federal worker fails to comply, they will go through the standard HR process. If you break the rules, be prepared to pay. And face a disciplinary action, face progressive disciplinary action. But our patience is wearing thin. That last quote hits you hard, doesn't it? He wanted to get the governors out of the way at one point in the speech. And what was that last part about the, the patience? Can we hear that, that clip? You've been patient, but our patience is wearing thin. Mm, is it? And your refusal has cost all of us. Yeah, this is the way they do these things. Uh, they just, it's all fine. They'll, they'll keep asking you. Of course, you can do whatever you want unless you don't do what they want. Then there's other steps that they will take. This is the problem with big government and progressivism. We're going to get into that a little bit tonight. Uh, Philip Klein has a bunch of questions about what this, how this mandate will actually work. Because we have the constitutional arguments. But what about just the pragmatic ones? Let me give you a taste of his piece. Uh, he says, just to think about a few of the complications, under this order, businesses will now have to set up a system for monitoring who has been vaccinated and who has not. They will also have to facilitate weekly testing for those who choose not to be vaccinated and keep track of the negative tests. Who pays for the tests? What happens in the time that workers are waiting for test results? This remains unclear. Also, what are, uh, what are businesses supposed to do with employees who refuse to get vaccinated and won't submit to weekly testing? Can they fire those workers? Are they forced to fire those workers? To take things a step further, how does OSHA intend to enforce this law? Will businesses be forced to submit weekly reports showing that all of their workers are vaccinated or have tested positive? Will OSHA officials do spot checks at offices to make sure that businesses can produce records demonstrating they are in compliance? This is what they do with all their other requirements. Uh, and what happens if the federal government comes around to the view that booster shots are required either in response to new variants or because of waning immunity over time? Will somebody who has considered fully vaccinated at one point still be considered fully vaccinated. In other words, they don't know what the hell they're doing with this thing. There's so many open questions. They don't have any real plan to implement this, or at least not one that we've seen so far. We just have these sort of overarching uh, threats against the public. Um, the other part to think about here is the constitutionality of all this. And I think we all kind of step back and say, this doesn't feel constitutional. I think every conservative gets hit with this the same way. This just doesn't feel right. doesn't feel constitutional. Um, let me go through some uh, stuff from Ilya Shapiro. He's a constitutional expert, um, and we've had him on the program before. He writes, 
Although much rhetoric on federal vax mandates focuses on individual rights, how dare they force me to inject something into my body, government can generally regulate its own employees or those it funds with Medicaid or Medicare dollars. So strongest claims there are for people with religious or medical objections. That private sector mandate, however, which potentially affects 100 million people, presents a constitutional triple threat. One, separation of powers issue uh, with the scope of OSHA's authority, whether Congress can delegate such broad power to the executive. Second, these impositions are hardly reg- uh, regulated in interstate commerce. States have police powers to regulate health and safety. Federal, uh, the feds don't, which is true. Third, forcing businesses to do government's dirty work isn't proper means of limiting a pandemic. And as a matter of law, even more than philosophy or policy, it matters what level of government or what more broadly, what kind of actor infringes on individual liberty in what way and for what reason. Accordingly, Biden administration is about to face a tsunami of legal filings. There are massive problems with this in a constitutional sense. Now, when you're talking about actual federal employees, the government and Biden in particular in this you know, case has really wide authority to do lots of stuff to them. This is an argument to not have a government that employs millions and millions of people. You don't want that authority to be over every when it ta- we're talking about millions of workers. It's unfair that just some guy gets to make up his mind. We know, though, that this is true. If you think about the military for a second, the military obviously comes under Biden's purview at this time. And this isn't just Biden. This is presidents going back years and years. All sorts of vaccinations are required to the point of when you go into the military, you have to have an MMR vaccine, even if you had one as a kid. They just give it to you again anyway. <laughs> it's going to get just to make sure you're getting an extra one. Tons of things are, 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 are mandated. There are, of course, differences, and I think those differences are important. But the, the courts, generally speaking, side on this, uh, with the executive branch on this sort of stuff because it's just under their purview. They can ask all sorts of things of their own employees. This is a reason to not have a massive government like we do. This is why the government shouldn't be uh, 20% of your economy because then you basically have a 20% dictator. You have a 20% dictator with very little limitations. Going further than this, OSHA itself has so much power. This is largely Congress's fault. I am a huge proponent of Congress taking back their power. There's another huge proponent of Congress taking back their power in Washington, D.C. It's Mike Lee. And then after that, pretty much nobody else. Nobody in Congress seems to want to have the responsibility of doing what Congress is supposed to do. The Constitution itself says Congress is supposed to be the ones dealing with trade. And then Congress is like, well, what if we we're going to deal with it? And the way we're going to deal with it is have the president do it all. That's not that's just going around the Constitution. Mike Lee's about the only person who seems to recognize that in Washington, D.C. and fights against it all the time with very few allies. However, looking at OSHA, This is a particularly egregious example of what can go wrong here. Uh, David French uh, points uh, us to uh, pretty amazing stuff here. He says, uh, we're uh, we're dealing with OSHA, a regulatory entity created by an act of Congress that has granted really super duper broad regulatory authority over private businesses. How broad? I'll let Cass Sunstein explain. If you remember Cass Sunstein, of course, a big Obama official, uh, one of the leading legal minds, particularly on the progressive side, though he's not always on the progressive side. Sometimes he is, you know, will surprise you from time to time. But he was one of the most influential people 
uh, in the Obama administration. Here's what he writes. Imagine that Congress creates a federal agency to deal with a large problem, one that involves a significant part of the national economy. Suppose that Congress instructs the agency, do what you believe is best, act reasonably and appropriately, adopt the legal standard that you prefer, all things considered. Suppose, finally, that these instructions lack clear contextual reference, such as previous enactments or judicial understandings on which the agency might build. Remarkably, the core provision of one of the nation's most important regulatory statutes, the Occupational Safety and Health Act, that's OSHA, is not easy to distinguish from the hypothesized statute. You know, the one where they just said, hey, you guys do whatever you think is best. That provision defines an occupational safety and health standard as one that is, quote, reasonably necessary or appropriate to provide safe or healthful employment or places of employment, end quote. When the Secretary of Labor issues regulations governing tractors, ladders, or electrical equipment, the only question to be asked is whether one or another standard is reasonably necessary or appropriate. What do you think people are going to say about this? We're in the middle of a pandemic. Is it reasonably necessary or, or appropriate? Sure. Now, that doesn't mean it's definitely going to hold up in court. I think there's a chance. There's a bunch of reasons why. In fact, the fact that they put a number on it, said uh, com- any company over 100 might be what makes this thing fall down. There's a, a lot of these things get shot down if, like, when, when they ask the question, well, why not 99? Why not 101? So where do we go from here? Because do we, are we really doing so badly? Let me give you where we are right now. Just to get, like, whether you're for or against vaccines, this is acting as if we have this intense problem with, 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 that, with vaccines and whether they're, we're doing a good job vaccinating people. Here's where we are. 62.7% of all people are vaccinated, at least with one dose. Of 12 and over, 73%. Of 18 and over, 75%. And of the most, most vulnerable, 92.6%. I remind you of this fact that nobody remembers from the era of the polio vaccine, which everyone says was so excess- successful. Only 54% of the American population had taken the polio vaccine six years after its introduction. So are we that hesitant? So why? Why would we be doing this right now? In the last two months, with no mandates, vaccines per day have doubled with no mandates. The Delta surge has been rough in some areas, but now it looks like we're already on the downside of the curve. So why would he pick yesterday to throw a massively divisive mandate at the American people? He picked yesterday because of tomorrow. Tomorrow is September 11th, the 20th year anniversary of 9-11. Biden had planned to proudly stand behind a podium and bask in the glory of being the president who finally pulled us out of Afghanistan after so many previous presidents had failed. But what he didn't see is that he would turn into the personification of failure as his pullout turned into a catastrophe. His incompetence turned a pullout that most people agreed with generally into one of the single worst examples of failure of leadership in our nation's history. Biden brought chaos, cost more than a dozen lives of our servicemen, and abandoned thousands of Americans, permanent U.S. residents that are green card holders, and Afghans who helped us fight against the Taliban and Al-Qaeda. Biden knows that with all of the context of the last month, watching that footage for the 20th time is going to be excruciating. He's announcing this now because he wants to distract America. Sure, the vaccine, uh, vaccine mandate is divisive, but he's highlighting a divisive issue that his base loves, for an issue that unites America 
in recognition of his own incompetence. Which one would you choose? Which one would you highlight? He'd rather have the right-wing Twitter mad at him and left-wing Twitter praising him instead of almost everyone trashing him all of the time. I don't know for sure whether this will hold up in court. It might because our structure is so screwed up. But Biden doesn't care if it holds up. All that it has to do is distract us and try to force us to think about a vaccine mandate instead of American citizens struggling to survive his failures. We have to fight back against government overreach, of course. But in addition to that, let's not lose focus on what has happened here. Biden is responsible for the greatest foreign policy catastrophe of my lifetime. We can't forget it. This summer bespoke post is here to take your adventures to the next level with a new lineup of must have box of awesome collections. Bespoke post partners with small businesses and emerging brands to bring you the most unique goods every month. No matter what you're into, box of awesome has you covered from travel and outdoor gear to breezy summer styles and grooming goods. Box of awesome has collections for every part of your life. To get started, take the quiz at boxofawesome.com. Your answers are gonna help you uh, them kind of like pick which box of awesome is right for you. And then they release a new box every month across a ton of different categories. It's great stuff. You probably don't know about a lot of it. It's stuff you need in your life. It's free to sign up and you can skip a month anytime. It's really customizable. Uh, each box costs only 45 bucks, but it has over $70 worth of gear inside. And honestly, a lot more than $70 in every case I've ever seen. Uh, get 20% off your first bo uh, uh, monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com. Enter the code STEW at checkout, boxofawesome.com. It's a great gift. STEW is the code for 20% off your first box. Always a pleasure to have Dave Rubin on the show. He's the host of Blaze TV's The Rubin Report and author of Don't Burn This Book, Thinking for Yourself in the Age of Unreason. Dave, how's it going? Still, it's going all right. I don't know if you know about this, but America's under attack. Our days as a free nation are uh, coming to a close. Uh, but I'm okay. How are you? I think we at least have the weekend, though, as far as I understand. Unless <laughs> something's changed. It all kicks in on Monday. Yeah. It's been a slow burn. It all leads to Monday, <laughs> and then we'll see. Actually, from, my, from where I'm sitting, it kicks in on Tuesday because that's when this uh, recall of Gavin Newsom happens. And perhaps, I know we're going to talk about it in just a bit, but perhaps my man Larry Elder will save the state and then the country. Yeah, pretty exciting developments on that, one of which you're right in the middle of. I want to get to that here in a second. But uh, first, this weekend is obviously an important one. Take me back to uh, September 11th, 2001. Where are you? What's going on? Yeah, you know, I lived in Manhattan uh, back then. I had just moved into Manhattan about a year before. Uh, I'm from New York, originally born in Brooklyn, grew up in Long Island, had a lot of family living in New York City at the time. My dad worked in New York City. And I woke up that morning. I lived on 90th and 1st, Upper East Side, right by Gracie Mansion, which is the mayor's mm. residence. And I woke up to a call from my dad, who worked in Midtown, facing south, and actually saw the first plane hit the tower. Wow. Uh, no, he saw the second plane hit after they, you know, the first one was had mm. been attacked already, and they saw the smoke and everything, so they were watching, and then saw the second one. Uh, I woke up to a phone call from him telling me what had happened, and then, of course, you know, the next days and weeks and everything else, we were all sort of locked at home watching TV, watching it all unfold. My main memory of the time really is a very visceral one, which is the constant smell of smoke and soot that permeated throughout the city the entire time. And I remember walking out to First Avenue 
to go get some some food because obviously there was going to be a rush on everything in the chaos. And I remember looking down First Avenue where you you basically could see down the entire city and just watching thousands of people just walking in the middle of the street, which is something you never see in New York City. I mean, just absolutely in the middle of the street, just walking north, trying to get home or trying to get elsewhere. Uh, I ended up having a few friends stay at my place that couldn't get out of the city that night. My dad couldn't get back home to Long Island. He stayed with my grandmother who lived in New York City with some of his coworkers. And I'll just tell you one other quick story because it really sort of captures maybe a feeling that we need in America again these days. About 10 days after 9-11, I went to play basketball. I, you know, I had been just trapped in my house like everybody else and just watching the news constantly and it was so horrific and depressing and they still were finding bodies and the whole thing. And I thought, I have to get outside. So I went to play ball right by Gracie Mansion actually. And uh, two guys got into a fight on the court and they were about to hit each other. I mean, we could see it coming. And then I kid you not, both of them started crying at the exact same time. And they kind of hugged each other and we all, everyone on the court just kind of stood there and, and I teared up and everybody else did. And it's like, man, there was a time when America, unfortunately through a, a horrific unimaginable tragedy, really did come together. And these days when everything feels so frayed and we feel so distant from our neighbors and everything else, it's like we could use a little bit of that. Um, but I'll, I'll, it's etched in my mind forever as a New Yorker. I have a cousin who's a firefighter who was there and uh, Boy, it's, it's been a weird 20 years, you know? It, in many ways, it feels like whatever it is that, that Bin Laden wanted to accomplish, in some ways it did work. Maybe not exactly how we want it to work, but this thing that we all feel in America right now where something is, is so fundamentally wrong and authoritarianism is creeping in so many ways, maybe there was a win in it in, in some way. Oh, it's a terrible thing to think about. I really think that's gonna hit people hard this weekend when watching this footage again. You know, you see it really only once a year now, uh, if you see it at all. And that's gonna hit people, I think, with the context of what's happened over the past month or so, uh, I think really hard. And, and it's interesting because the past month was the month you were gone. You were on your sabbatical. You're not watching the news. You're not keeping up with anything. Adam Carolla breaks all of this to you. And you hadn't even, if I remember right, Dave, we hadn't even had like, you know, there's a scheduled pullout at the end of August, but we did not have really any of the stuff building up when you actually went away. And when you came back, everything was already done. We were out of control of of Afghanistan. We'd already left completely. Do I have the timeline right? And what was it like to learn about that? Yeah, you know, there was a little bit of talk in July about something happening with Afghanistan. You know, maybe we're going to pull out something like that. But that had been going on. You know, Trump had been talking about maybe doing it Mm -hmm. for quite some time. So I wasn't really thinking about it. I mean, the idea that something as absolutely horrendous as this pullout turned to be, the idea that that was going to happen while I was gone, I, I certainly didn't expect. But yeah, I truly didn't know anything for the month. I had no news, no TV. I wasn't doing social media or any of that kind of stuff. And, you know, when Corolla brought me back on the first and told me about that, so I was seeing those images of the plane and the video and the people falling off and then and then the 13 service members and all, all of this stuff. To see it at once was really like, it, it was quite a hit that, that I don't know that I fully recovered from in the 10 days or so since then because, uh, you know, everyone gets to see these things in real time now. And I think in some ways that's part of our political problem that we're always watching things unfold and we're all live streaming the revolution at every moment. But to get it all at once was really something else because it's almost unimaginable the scale of of how badly this was done, how poorly the administration act 
acted, the lies, leaving people there, the people that are still left there. You know, Stu, I know I'm as proud as you are to work with Glenn Beck, who did absolutely incredible stuff. I mean, at least, last I heard it was he had raised about $35 million for the Nazarene Fund, if I'm not mistaken, to yeah. get 10,000 Christians out. Um, and, and obviously more need to go. Um, but to, yeah, to catch up all at once when it's such a big story, and then to just see, man, at every level where we could have maybe done something a little bit different, figured out a more measured withdrawal, made sure that the weapons weren't stolen, made sure that we took care not only of our servicemen, but the translators and the, literally the thousands of Afghanis who were helping us there. At every level, it seems like we just let go of our important duties and did it horribly. It, let's put it this way. If Trump had been president for this, we'd be in the middle of an impeachment process right now. Yeah, and I, don't, I think if Trump had been president for this, this would not have happened. I mean, he definitely prioritized getting totally out of agree. Afghanistan. Totally agree, But he would not, even just out of personal embarrassment sense, he would not have allowed this to go down uh, the way it did. Um, our, look, neither one of us thought Joe Biden was gonna be a good president. But were you shocked to see the levels of incompetence that we have seen over the past few months, in the last month in particular? You know, I don't think so, actually. Mm. I thought this thing was gonna be pretty terrible. Obviously, I supported <laughs> Trump. I did not, yeah, I did not support Trump the first time around, but I, I gladly supported him this time around, and I agree that this wouldn't have been nearly as bad uh, had he been president right now, maybe it wouldn't have happened, but I sh there's no way it could have been worse than this thing. I mean, this is this is basically, at, we armed the people that we purportedly were fighting for the last 20 years, and now they're gonna be making deals with China. Like, this is just happening right in front of our eyes. Um, but I would say broadly, you know, on the Biden front, between this, between the ever encroaching, I mean, the statement that he made yesterday about the governors related to vaccines, oh. you know, basically saying, if you don't do your job, I'll get you out of my way. Is he a king? Is he a king? But again, everything with Biden, it's like, where is it really coming from? Because it's not coming from Joe Biden. Joe Biden is obviously not in charge. We all know there's something wrong with him. And is this, you know, Obama over here doing it? I, I don't know what the answer to that is. I, you know, very few of us, I suppose, know what the answer to that is. But the thing that he has ushered in, that the government will do everything for you, tell you when you can go to work, who you can talk to, when you can be on social media, what you can say, what you must believe, uh, mandate vaccines, it's just going to get worse and worse. There, There is no there there with these people, and it's just, it's gonna continue, Stu, it really just is. On that uplifting note, I'd like to get to some potential. Sorry, Stu. Uh, I, I, all right, all right, all right. Let me see what I can do for you here. Okay, okay. Let's see if we can switch this up a little bit because yeah. there is a real possibility for incredibly yes. positive change in our country. I know where you're going. In the biggest economy in our country, California, Larry Elder has a legitimate chance to be the governor uh, come Tuesday. How, do you, how does the, the race look on the ground? And then I want to get into your interview, which is huge breaking news. Yeah, so look, on the ground, I think there is so much incredible support for Larry. And look, of course I'm supporting Larry and Larry's a friend of mine, so I'll put that right out there sure. up front. I've campaigned with Larry, I, I adore Larry. Larry had a huge amount to do with my own political awakening in that video about systemic racism that's been seen on YouTube, you know, something like 20 million times. I mean, really helped me wake up to the lies of the left. Um, but I can tell you when I've gone to some of these events, 
thousands of people are showing up and it is an abject lie that Obama and Newsom and Kamala Harris and the rest of them are pushing that this is a Republican recall. These are, yeah, there's Republicans, there's conservatives, but these are libertarians, they're liberals, they're apolitical people who have been mugged by lockdown reality. They're restaurant owners who aren't political at all, who just wanna go back to work. There are good, decent people. They're black people, Latino people, gay people. It's across the board. Uh, people have just had it with Gavin Newsom. And Larry's made a point that I've heard him say a couple times in the last week that even the people supporting uh, Newsom, you know, the big head, you know, the big people like Obama, they're not saying Newsom's good at anything. They're just saying, oh, Larry Elder's scary. <laughs> right. You know, Larry Elder's going to be scary when it comes to school. And Larry Elder's going to be scary when it comes to kids and COVID. Nobody says anything good about Newsom because there's nothing good to say about Newsom. If you think that destroying the economy is good, then vote for Newsom. If you think that homeless people everywhere is good, then vote for Newsom. If you think that Venice Beach becoming a den of drugs and violence, then vote for Newsom. If you think that skyrocketing price, uh, house prices is good, then vote for Newsom. There's nothing good you can say about Newsom. So I really think there's a chance. I have to couch that though by saying, you know, this is a one party state. We're allowing mail-in ballots that you can not only print yourself, but that can be mailed in, meaning they can be postmarked on the 14th, on election day. So, I mean, am I a conspiracy theorist to at least bring up the question, well, is it possible that in a one-party state, if they don't have the result that they want at the end of the day, that they might just say, oh, actually, we do have to wait a couple of days because we don't have those mail-in ballots. And boy, it's odd that people can print out their own ballots. That's really something. So right after I do this interview with you, Stu, I'm actually going to vote in person with my whole team. And yes, I will be voting for Larry Elder. Uh, well, that, that's good to hear. Um, you're right. The, the mail-in thing is just a bad practice. I mean, even if it runs perfectly, I think it puts tons of doubts in people's mind. Um, you, you point out the way that they're running this. It really is kind of an echo of, of the Biden campaign against Trump, where he's saying, look, no one cared about Joe Biden. No one voted for Joe Biden. They only voted against Donald Trump. And they're trying to make Larry Elder into this scary figure to go that way. But as you found out uh, this week with Rose McGowan, and this is an incredible story, Gavin Newsom is even scarier, I think, than we even realized. Can you walk us through how this all came about? Yeah, so I had Rose McGowan on. Rose McGowan, of course, is uh, an actress, but really what she has become most well-known for is she really is the person that broke the Harvey Weinstein sex scandal. You know, that in essence, he was a serial rapist and did all sorts of evil criminal activity that really led to the Me Too movement. And pretty much every feminist in America had him painted as the most evil guy. Well, I had Rose McGowan on yesterday, and she told me that three months before the Harvey Weinstein story broke in the New York Times, she got a call from Jennifer Newsom, Gavin Newsom's wife, on behalf of David Boies, who was Harvey Weinstein's lawyer, to find out what it would take for her to be happy. In essence, what, how much money could we give you to make this story go away? Now, what's the connection with Jennifer Newsom there? Why was she doing that on behalf of Harvey Weinstein's lawyer? I don't know. I don't know that uh, Rose knows. I will tell you this. I believe Rose, and Rose says she has the receipts, and I'll actually leave a little mystery to this part. I may or may not have seen them, okay? So you can put together what you need to put together there. But the bigger issue here, so first off, what does she have to do with it? And did Gavin know that his wife was basically, you know, the middleman for a, for a ransom on, on Rose's silence. That's one thing. But the fact that we've now sent this clip out and, you know, it's only being picked up by The Blaze and The Daily Wire and Real Clear Politics and Free Beacon. It's being picked up by everybody on the right. But the clip has, I don't know, 800,000 views, something like that on Twitter. 
and it's abjectly being ignored by mainstream media. And one of the types of fake news that I talk about in that book right behind me is when they ignore the stories that don't fit the narrative. The media wants Gavin Newsom to win and they will protect their own. So they don't care about women. They don't care if Rose McGowan was raped or if Jennifer Newsom and potentially Gavin Newsom had something to do with trying to pay her off to silence her. They don't care. They don't care about women. I mean, this is this is what everyone must understand. They pretend to care about women, but they care about power. They pretend to care about gay people, but they care about power. They pretend to care about black people, but they care about power. Thus, Larry Elder can be assaulted while being in Venice by a, a gorilla wearing lefty lunatic. And the headline in the LA Times implies that he got into a scuffle as, it, as if it had something to do with him. And it shows a picture of him putting his hand on a woman's face. He was going to hug her. But the way the whole story is framed by the LA Times that I can only deduce is a white supremacist newspaper is that Larry Elder was trying to attack this woman. I mean, it's, it's just extraordinary. It really is. That, that, I mean, the LA Times twice with that, that particular story uh, went out of their way to try to make everyone believe he was the bad guy in the story or that he was just poorly received by the community, which is a lot different than having a racist attack against a black man walking in in Los Angeles. I feel like we've heard stories when that has occurred. It's been kind of big news. Stu, call me crazy, but do you think that if, say, Stacey Abrams was walking down the street and a white person in a gorilla mask threw an egg at her, Stacey Abrams, of course, happens to be black, mm -hmm. just like Larry Elder, do you think that maybe that would have made it on CNN or the Washington Post or the New York Times or ABC or CBS or NBC? Of course, it would have been the lead story on every single one. Every single Democrat would have said this is proof of racism and that America's evil and everything else. It was ignored by every single one of them. And by the way, the LA Times, one of the stories that Adam Carolla told me when I came back, and I've now seen the headline, called uh, Larry Elder the black face of white supremacy. Mm -hmm. So are they, are they accountable when Larry Elder then gets assaulted? I mean, they're calling him in essence a white supremacist. The idea that Larry Elder is a white supremacist it's so beyond the pale, but you know, nothing's beyond the pale these days. Yeah, uh, Dave Rubin. I, Dave, I'd love to get you to a story that we covered earlier this week that I haven't really seen get, get any attention. Um, uh, how Gavin Newsom basically went woke and picked uh, a, a director of public health that happened to be Hispanic and had no expertise in infectious disease and then tried to give it to give the job to someone who did have that expertise, but only if they wouldn't say they were running the the actual uh, response to COVID. I mean, it's a story that's mind blowing. Basically, he chose a, a health director based on structural racism. Uh, I don't know, I think it's a big deal. I would love to get that story to you as well. And well, well, of course, it's a huge story because it shows why wokeism and social justice is so dangerous. Yeah. Because once you, once you decide that someone's skin color or gender or sexuality is a paramount piece of why you hire them, why they get the job, then you will no longer select the best people. That's not to say you shouldn't hire a black person or you shouldn't hire a Latino people. I believe actually that there are often many black people who are qualified to do all sorts of jobs <laughs> and, all, and many Latino people yes. who are qualified to do all sorts of jobs. But once you say, oh, I will choose this person because I wanna look diverse, which of course they never mean diversity of thought, they mean diversity of color, which in itself is sort of racist. Uh, once you do that, you are going to degrade the position and the system that it exists in. So for example, when I get on a plane, I actually don't care what uh, color uh, the pilot is. I just want the best pilot. But, but a lefty, if they were tr being true, they would say, no, I want a black pilot. Well, there's nothing wrong with having a black pilot, except if we're gonna say, oh, we have to have X amount of black pilots or X amount of lesbian pilots or whatever it might be, 
Well, then you're gonna slowly degrade the people because the no one is a good pilot because of the color of their skin, whether they're black or white. So once you put diversity quotas in, you will start punishing success. And the second you punish success, you will destroy your institution. And by the way, that's why all the institutions are crumbling right now. They have decided that faux diversity is more important than whether they're an educational institution or a governmental institution in this case, or an entertainment institution. I mean, why do movies all suck? Movies all suck because they can't do anything true and real and honest because now to play mm. uh, a trans person in a movie, you have to be trans. You know, I'm pretty sure that uh, Tom Hanks and uh, Forrest Gump are not the same person. I think he played a guy named Forrest Gump, right? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure, but at this point, I don't even know if we're allowed to say that. Um, Dave Rubin, host of Blaze TV's The Rubin Report, author of Don't Burn This Book, Thinking for Yourself in the Age of Unreason. Dave, you have much more important things to do than this stupid show. Go cast some votes for Larry Elder. Stu, did I turn it around? I feel like usually when I'm with you, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing some levity and some joy to all of this. I, you know, I'm, I'm like in it right now, so I'm a little nuts and I'm on the way to vote. You've given so me a little bit of hope for Larry Elder, so yes, hope. you've turned it around. All right, great. All right, back in a second. Trying to buy or sell a home in these times, uh, it can be very challenging. If you want to get the best price for your home, you want to make sure that everything is buttoned up the way it's supposed to be done. You want to make sure that you're not making additional repairs you don't need to make. Uh, well, realestateagentsitrust.com can help you find the person that can make this a reality, and it is an incredibly important part of this process. Just getting anybody that you meet at a, you know, uh, you see a, uh, an ad on a bench is not the way to hire someone for your most important financial transaction. You need to have uh, agents that are screened, that are uh, they go through a vetting process of sorts. Realestateagentsitrust.com uh, is Glenn's company. He wanted to make sure that vetting process was easily available to everyone, and now it is available to you. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to find that person, your real estate hero. Get him at realestateagentsitrust.com. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. As you may know, every single thing is racist. If you watched the NFL last night, you know we're going to be preached to uh, for the whole season. Be prepared for that tailgate party when you start seeing all those funny commercials about how racist you really are with a Colin Kaepernick t-shirt. You might think, I don't want a Colin Kaepernick t-shirt. What are you talking about? Well, this one you might want because it says, always remember, Colin Kaepernick, before Colin Kaepernick took a knee, he lost his job to Blaine Gabbert. Yes, remember that... He kind of sucks as a quarterback, and it's something you can always remember uh, with this T-shirt or mug available now. Uh, by the way, in Larry, uh, the Larry Elder situation with the attack on him with the gorilla mask, that whole situation, that happened in Maxine Waters' district. Yet no one's even asking Maxine Waters to comment on it, let alone anyone else. When an incident like this happens and a Republican is somehow involved, every Republican has to answer for the racism of every other Republican, or quote-unquote racism. And in this case, no, no. Let's get past Tuesday. Let's get Gavin back in office, and then we can worry about racism again. Back in a second. Salted caramel, cookies and cream, double chocolate, coconut, mint brownie, and so many more. 
Those are just some of the Built Bar flavors. They come in the mixed box where you get two of each of their nine regular flavors. What are Built Bars? They've got 18 grams of protein. They got 180 calories or less, four to five grams of sugar, four to five net carbs. Look, there's some people on this network. There's a few of them that look really good. Okay. Most of us look like fat slobs. I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, that's kind of like, that's just basically what we decided to do here at The Blaze. We said, hey, what about diversity? Everyone on TV and all these other networks looks good. What if we put some people that look like Stu on? Okay, that's that's a, I think that's a fair thing, uh, fair way to break down the programming schedule of this of this network. But Built.com can help you with this. They're delicious treats. They are healthy for you as well. Stew 15 to save 15 percent off your first order. We're not going to recommend something that doesn't taste good. Look at us. Stew 15, 15 percent off at Built.com. It's Built.com. Code is Stew 15. Earlier today, you heard about Dave uh, Rubin's experience on 9-11. I was on the phone with Glenn when that second plane hit the towers. I, was, I remember I was watching CNN, and they didn't see the plane hit. So they were like, oh, it seems like there's more fire. I'm not sure why. Like, they must not have been looking at the screen, so they didn't see it happen. Go back and watch that footage. It's crazy. Um, but uh, as we were play playing that show, obviously everything changed. We rushed in and did a show live on 9-11. If you've never heard any of that show, we have a clip of it coming up here in just a couple of seconds. Glenn Beck, Radio Hall of Fame member, talking and telling the news on 9-11. That's coming up in just a second. Tomorrow will be 20 years since 9-11, which completely blows my mind. Uh, every year around this time, we look back and, and remember that day and all the events of that day. Uh, and every year it hits me. It hits me kind of unexpectedly every single year. This year I think though is going to be different. With the events of the last month putting all the loss and the sacrifice in context in a way that I don't think any of us ever asked for. I think looking back this time is going to be a much different experience. It's been 20 years since 9-11. Something weird is going on. Yeah. We, the, the World Trade Center is on fire. Oh my Seriously, goodness. the top it, of the building. We're trying to get information. Top level of one of the... News to unfold from New York City. A plane crashed. Just... My sister's in that building. Okay. And I hope she's okay. And I gotta run to New York. Oh my God, it's complete pandemonium. First of all, calm down. There's raining papers and ashes and... Thank you. 
second plane has now flown in. Wait, explosion at the Pentagon? A third location. And outside of I don't have words to describe what I'm witnessing right now. Effective immediately until further notice. Flight operations in the national airspace system by United States civil aircraft and foreign civil and military aircraft are prohibited. Freedom itself was attacked this morning by a faceless coward. Out and freedom will be defended. He just landed on the head. One of the World Trade Towers oh, has collapsed and fallen. I've never seen anything like this. September 11th, 2001. This is Glenn Beck. Dateline, New York. In one of the most audacious attacks ever, terrorists hijacked two airliners, crashed them into the World Trade Center in a coordinated series of blows today that brought down the twin 110-story towers. Thousands may be dead, 58,000 people work at the World Trade Center. One plane, United Flight 93, crashed north of Somerset County Airport, a small airport 80 miles southeast of Pittsburgh. United said that flight, Boeing 757, left Newark at 8.01, and entered San Francisco at 38 minutes. And we will not fail as the American Constitution. That is the news of this day. September 11th, 2001. 